The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. In chapter number 10, chapter number 10, we're going to step back uh, today uh, until... Uh, just, just for today, to cover this theme of ransom, um, having spent time with Christ at his cross, we want to get a little perspective, and this perspective begins actually just shortly before Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem. So Mark 10, and I want to focus on uh, verse number 45, uh, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. I received a tremendous amount of encouragement this past week. Uh, some of, many of you reached out and told me you were praying for me, and I appreciate that so very much, cards and other ways that that was expressed. But I also found a tremendous amount of encouragement uh, in a sermon by uh, William Taylor, who serves as pastor of St. Helen's Church in London, England. The encouragement was found in the big idea uh, for his sermon, which was, in all circumstances, however bleak, God's word triumphs. Uh, the application of his big idea was focused on the expansion of the church through missionary engagement. He is preaching from the book of Acts. What I propose to do this morning is to borrow his big idea, change it slightly, apply it to our text and to our discipleship. As we learned last week, it was at midday when darkness covered the land as Jesus was crucified. We can locate our hope in Christ because it is through the God-forsakenness of the cross that God triumphs as he set right what had been put wrong. And what this means for us, what this means for the church, is because the darkest day has already been experienced in its fullness by Jesus, there can be no circumstances, there can be no darkness in our lives that God cannot triumph over. So the big idea for this sermon is, and we'll put it up on the screen and we'll leave it there for the entire sermon, in all circumstances, however bleak, the cross of Christ triumphs. The cross of Christ triumphs in all circumstances, however bleak. One of the great privileges of the church is to help disciples of Jesus live by faith in the triumph 
of the cross. That should be one of the big goals of our ministry, is to help you, you to help me and the leaders of our church live by faith in the triumph of the cross. In devotion, we are drawn uh, to worship as we contemplate the cross. That's what we did in singing this morning. Songs and uh, bridges of explanation specifically designed to draw us to the ransom work of Christ at his cross. Worship. In terms of sanctification, uh, we would say that the power of the cross sanctifies because grace reigns through righteousness. For those who see the souls of lost sinners as precious and of eternal value, and it hit me early this morning in my prayers, some 3,000 souls are in this parish community that we in some way or another have responsibility for. 3,000 souls, their eternal destiny yet to be determined, presently, most likely lost, without hope, without God in the world. And so for folks like myself and many others who see souls of lost sinners as precious and of eternal value, we are compelled to see the cross in terms of that which rescues people from hell, from eternal separation with God. I have for many years been drawn to the statement attributed to the missionary C.T. Studd who said, some want to live within the sound of church or village bell. I want to run a rescue shop a yard short of hell. C.T. Studd, a world-famous cricketer in his day, a man who came from wealth and luxury, gave it all up to go to India and Africa and set up shops a yard short of hell. Whatever theme that the cross presses into your life, it might be worship, it might be personal sanctification, it might be evangelism, whatever theme you consider, all of them and all of us then have one thing in common. The cross is the place where God has ransomed sinners. You cannot worship God without having your soul ransomed by God. You will never know holiness and sanctification apart from the saving work of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And although you may have humanitarian concerns for the needs of the world in which you live, you will never truly understand the need of a soul unless your soul has been ransomed by the finished work of God in Christ. A ransom is almost always required because circumstances are bleak. A child is kidnapped. A political hostage is taken. A prisoner of war is held. Nations can be held hostage by cruel and wicked leaders. Companies can be held hostage. Ransomware is in your computer to protect your computer from being taken hostage. 
You can talk to Robert about how that works. According to the Guinness Book of World Records, the largest one-time payment made to ransom a person, and this is in terms of modern money, was $1.5 billion. The payment was made in gold and silver to the Spanish conquistador Francisco Pizarro in exchange for the last emperor of the Inca Indians. That, of course, is impressive, and really is impressive. Um, but the Guinness Book of World Records got it wrong. The greatest payment ever made to ransom a person was the blood of the pure and perfect Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man in the flesh. And that ransom was paid directly to God in a one-time act through which all of the descendants of Adam are released from bondage to the power of evil as they turn from their sins and by faith receive Jesus and his sacrifice for them. The church must never, must never step away from the biblical teaching that Jesus, who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, that his blood paid as a ransom went directly to God. And we must affirm this because if the triumph of the cross is to be complete and total in its victory, it must be so because God is satisfied with the payment. It must be so because the terms of the eternal covenant written in blood have been met by Jesus Christ. In all human terms of when ransom is needed, the ransom is paid to those who perpetrate the crime. It is given to those who have done evil. And of course the concern is that the promise of release may not happen even though the ransom has been paid. But in terms of our salvation, the ransom is paid to God. Because if it were paid to Satan, we would always live under the cloud of confusion. <coughs> we would always live with a little bit of you know, concern that Satan would change his mind or Satan would change the terms. But because the terms were set by God, and because God is righteous and just, the terms will not be changed. They are written in blood, the blood of the eternal covenant, the work of Christ that buys us out of our enslavement will today and always be honored by God who is righteous. The righteousness of God to us in Christ. To think deeply about this is not some kind of brainy, theologically abstract activity, you know, in seminary halls. Should be the normal conversation of, if we can say it this way, rank and file Christians. Who are, are, are so um, driven to understand their salvation that they think and they consider how then the work of Christ on their behalf 
is a pathway to worship. It, it is a motivation to service. It is a way to engage our hearts with passion for the lost. Think about the scriptures that were, were read for us this morning and the glorious truth that came out of them that Jesus came not to serve but to be served and to give his life as a ransom. The call to worship, for example, that God preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. From Isaiah 55, we were encouraged to seek the Lord while he may be found, to call upon the Lord while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. Let the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. And what will the Lord have on him? Compassion. And to our God, and what does God promise to do? He promises to abundantly pardon. <clears throat> From 2 Corinthians 5, the love of Christ controls us. It constrains us. It's a motivating reality in the lives of disciples because we have concluded that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that all those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. To consider Christ as the one who pays the ransom for our sins is not some theological abstraction. You need a big, thick book, read all the details. It is worship. It is service. It is passion for those 3,000 souls that lay in the darkness of their sins and yet to have come to the light of Christ. And if we think about this in the larger context of Mark chapter number 10, and we locate our stories ourselves in this story as we often do, the story that Mark is telling, we will see that the ransom paid for your sin and my sin that releases us from captivity, then frees us for a life of service, a full surrender as we embrace the baptism with which Christ was baptized with, and as we drink from the cup of suffering from which Christ also drank. And then as we think about it in the latter part of the chapter, we who are set free from Christ, set free from our blindness, set free from our death, are then able to go forth and compel others to come to the light of the redemption of Jesus Christ. You know, Mark 10, 35, down to verse number 45, you know, kind of on its own, we might say it's rather bleak. It's rather bleak. Because after three years of discipleship, there are two men that have an argument about who is the greatest among them. And that's, that's bleak, right? You work for a really long time with people, and then you find them arguing over their greatness. You're like, wow, they, they haven't gotten it. And then you, then you say to yourself, well, well, what real hope is there? Because Jesus was the one who was discipling them. Yeah, it was Ken Prater or, or Brian or, you know, uh, you know, one of you, you know. You say, well, you know, like they, maybe they just needed a better discipler, you know. This is Jesus Christ. 
spending three years. And just before he enters the city of Jerusalem, where he is going to go to the cross and give his life, two of his insiders are arguing about their own greatness. I mean, undoubtedly at this point, you've, you've faced a lot of discouragement in, in the church, right? You walk in and you go, what am I doing here again, you know? And, and, and then how discouraging, right, it would be if you walk in and there's people arguing over their greatness. It's bleak. It's bleak. But remember the big idea. In all circumstances, however bleak, the cross of Jesus Christ triumphs. And why does it triumph? It triumphs because God in Christ has set what is wrong and made it right. And these two men, James and John, who had some real issues right then, you know what? They did receive the baptism fully. They did drink the cup fully. James lost his head in martyrdom. John exiled to Patmos. They drank fully the cup. They stopped arguing about their greatness. And they saw the greatness of their Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, this is what, this is what Jesus says to them. You don't know what you're asking when you're asking me where are you going to sit at the table in the glory to come. And you might remember, we preached on this now a few months back. Jesus says, are you able to drink the cup? Verse 38, are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? And, and, and lo and behold, they say, yeah, yeah, we're able to do that. And like, I would have just left right then. I would have said, enough, I've had it, goodbye, I'm out of here. You know? But Jesus says this to them. He says, you know what, you are. You are. You are. The cup that I drink, you will drink. The baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. Don't worry about the future. It's not mine to tell you where you're going to sit in the glory to come. I'm telling you what's going to happen to you in the immediate future. You better wrap your head around that. And they did. By the grace of God. You see, full identification with Jesus Christ is the point of application for his service to us and the ransom price that he paid for our sins. To be baptized with his baptism, to drink from his cup, is to identify with him. To say that, yes, I am willing to embrace the shame and the reproach of the cross. I am willing to stand tall when the world is forsaking godliness and righteousness. I'm willing to stand with Jesus in these things. I have a dear friend who has been denied, denied opportunities for employment on the basis of his biblical position on same-sex marriage that the Bible condemns and forbids. He will not participate in it, and thus denied opportunity for employment. And yet, unwilling to bend, he stands tall and, in a sense, drinks the cup of suffering for identifying fully with Jesus Christ. You see, as we ponder the meaning of Jesus being the ransom for our sins, we pray that the Spirit then will engage us, the Spirit will help us to fully receive then the baptism with which we have been baptized with, to drink from the cup we are called to drink from. We do so with confidence. And where does that confidence come from? It doesn't come from looking at our own greatness. Greatness. 
or deciding who among us might be the greatest in the kingdom to come. The confidence comes from the one who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Our confidence must be found in Jesus Christ. And of course, what this looks like for each disciple may vary, but the one thing that will unite us is that none of us are called into a life with Christ and not drink from his cup, not be baptized with his baptism. You, you cannot do an end run, like an end run around, you can't do a power sweep around these things. You can't. I know many want to or tried, but you can't. To be a Christian is to receive Christ for all of who Christ is. And if you're unwilling to do that, then you really need to seriously ponder and consider where you stand with Jesus Christ. Again, it's going to look different. You may not be denied employment. You may not lose a job or lose whatever because of your position about the Bible. Fine. But that does not mean that you do not in some way in your life every day have to identify with Jesus Christ, who he is, what he is about. I made a very poor decision a few weeks ago that was directly related to my own struggle with the sin of pride. So this poor decision wasn't really a poor decision, it was really a sinful decision. And that, that decision, which I consciously made, and though I wasn't thinking, oh, I'm going to sin right now, uh, it was kind of a sin of omission in a sense. It cost, it cost Mike and his family some precious time. And I apologize to Mike for that. You know, as I, I reflected on that as I was doing some late work on this sermon, I, I realized that as a disciple of Jesus, you know, I still have a long way to go. I have a long way to go but in all circumstances however bleak the cross of christ triumphs now i would encourage you to make a mental note or maybe write down a reminder and go back to this point later in today and and ask yourself where is the cross of christ triumphing in your life do you have some sin that keeps plaguing you do you do you have some besetting sin do you have some point of discouragement or fear or frustration and you might just go back this afternoon or sometime soon and look at it and say oh cross of christ triumph there be triumphant there let the cross of christ triumph there in my life and in my personal experience you see that's how we gain confidence we gain confidence through jesus as we identify with him and as we identify with him then we are compelled out into his world that is in need and as we go out into this world and we meet people in need we find them in the bleakness of their circumstances now, now it's hard because the facade looks so impressive so impressive i mean you know when i was a kid growing up watching westerns i thought wow look at those great towns and i didn't know that they were just like plywood and you know knocked down <laughs> against them there they go but the facade was fantastic, right? And that's the world we, that's the people, that's the 3,000 souls directly under our care. 
facades. Some are rough, some are in rough shape, some are really in difficult circumstances. But each and every one of them without Christ, they're bleak. Their circumstances are bleak. And we are given an opportunity to proclaim the light and life of Jesus who triumphs over their darkness. And so in verses 46 and to the end of the chapter, we have this familiar setting of desperation. And a setting that is so desperate, a blindness, a man begging, he's blind, he's been blind. Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sitting by the roadside. This is desperation. He hears that Jesus is coming. He starts to cry out, son of David, have mercy on me. People are telling him, be quiet. Hey, leave Jesus alone. He's got a lot going on today. Can't be bothered. He says, no, I'm a really, I, I, I can't see, but I got a big mouth. So I'm going to just keep, my lungs are working great. And I'm going to keep crying out, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops and the circumstances change. You see, as we gain hope in Jesus, our circumstances begin to change. Because Jesus endured the darkest day, the God-forsakenness of the cross, then we can have hope that um, we will overcome whatever the darkest day is. And I, I want to say this, and I'm going to be very careful as I say this, do not want to diminish anyone's experience of darkness, whatever it's been. And there's been so much affliction in the life of our church for so many years, and we don't want to minimize that. But we have to put it in perspective of the actual darkest day of humanity is when Jesus, in his cry of dereliction, said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because you and I have never experienced true God-forsakenness as Christians. Because God has said what? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I won't fear what men can do for me. So hope just pours in. As we remember that as difficult as our circumstances may be as confusing or dark and challenging as they may be right now, Christ has endured the absolute darkness and the darkest day. And three days later rose from the dead. And I just can't wait till we get to Mark 16 in a few weeks and finally get out of the darkness and into the light in this exposition and say, praise God, light has come in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the healing of the blind man, as it relates then to Christ giving his life as a ransom for many, we find hope that the righteous God will do what is right. And there is no greater news than to hear that God in Christ has set things right. And there's only really one response to that news. And like the blind man, we must keep, keep, keep faith going upward to Christ who enthroned today, sits on his throne, invites us in, the great shepherd of his sheep, the one who loves us and cares for us. But for any person in this room, in the sound of my hearing, or may hear this somehow, some way, in another time, if you are still in your sins, if you have never turned from your sins, and in actual faith said, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, forgive my sins, I want to receive your salvation, 
then you're still in the blindness and desperation of a beggar on the side of the road without hope. Without hope. And you need to come. You need to come. Humbly. Turning from your life and turning to Jesus. And we would love to help you do that. And like midwives for Jesus, you know. The call of the midwife. I don't know if you watched it or not. It's brutal sometimes, you know, given all that birth going on. But here we are, midwives for Jesus. Like, you know, here we are. Just help us to bring souls into the kingdom by God's grace. The great truth of Christ paying the price, the ransom for sinners, is why we say the future is Jesus Christ. The ransom has been paid. We have been brought into fellowship with God in Christ. And like the blind man, what are we to do? Did you see, you know, I, I didn't read the whole text, but look at the very last, the very last in verse, verse 52. Jesus says, hey, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Immediately he recovers his sight. And what does he do? Hey, he follows him. Like, go my way. I, I'm not, I don't know if this thing's going to last. I'm following him. I'm following him. And where is Jesus going, by the way? Where is he going? Yeah. He's going into Jerusalem. He's going out of Jerusalem to the place of the skull. See, that's the call of the church, right? It's the call of your discipleship, my discipleship. To follow him all the way. You say, well, what if it's hard? I, I expect it's going to be hard. And whatever privileged position we have enjoyed as Christians for the last however many years over over we live now in the apostolic age the early church and we should anticipate opposition 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 which is why we have to drill down into things like the ransom of jesus for our sins so you think it's gonna be hard yeah it's gonna be hard well what if it's dark we have the light of god's word shining forth for us what if it's confusing at times and dangerous you know we have to embrace that we have to say oh god you know let me not be ashamed i put my trust in you oh god don't let me be put to confusion and in all of it we find help in the reality that in all circumstances however bleak the triumph of god is eternal through the obedience of jesus who endured the god forsakenness of the place of the skull and so we're going to come to this table and we're going to link arms, as it were. And I don't mean physically actually doing that. Don't worry, Mike. I'm arranging a new way to do communion this morning. I'm like, metaphorically, let's, you know, link hearts and arms. And um, together with Jesus, together with Jesus, we come to this great truth that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's bow in quietness as we prepare ourselves for the table.
imagery of locking arms, I actually like that because at our family, when we pray before the meal, we all hold hands. Because we're not just nine, ten, or however many there are individuals. We're one family together. And here, we're not just bunch of individuals that Jesus has individually saved so we can go about our individual life and get a better one. We are a family that God is growing together for his glory. And so we do this together. And so that's why one of the reasons we have the meal together. And I'm not going to ask you to hold hands with anybody today, but we, I'm going to pray. And if you just feel like you need to, in touch with another person, don't be ashamed. Father, thank you for this meal. It is to bless us. It is to encourage hearts in a time of bleakness that your cross triumphs. The very juice we drink is there to remind us of the... Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.